Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Stories connect us. They set the foundation for how we see the world, how we think about others, and how we view ourselves and the person we could be. As parents and educators, we have a vision for what we hope our children will become. But we also need to listen to what kids have to say. My favorite book is volcano books and and shark books because um, they can tell you real real information about volcanoes or sharks and sometimes they can be have real facts. I love to read books with illustrations because they inspire my art. My favorite book is about dinosaurs. I like it because the dinosaurs walk on their tiptoes. I love to read because it's fun to transport myself into different worlds and so I like to read all kinds of books. I usually find my favorite books in my classroom library. My favorite book is Clifford. And why is Clifford your favorite book? Because he's a big riddle. (laughs) We surveyed thousands of kids and their families to find out what types of stories they want leading them into the future. The findings of our kids and family reading report illuminate the attitudes that children and their parents have towards reading. It's an invaluable resource that informs much of the work we do. Children and parents tell us that they're looking for books that reflect kids' experiences and help them navigate the world. 74% of kids told us that reading helps them understand the world, and more than half of kids and parents told us that they've turned to books to help them get through difficult times. The report also reveals that there's still a lot of work to be done when it comes to publishing these books and getting them into children's hands. Access to school and classroom libraries is diminishing across the country. Only 43% of kids say that they have a classroom library, and only one-third say that that library has enough of the types of books that they want to read. Today, we're going to hear from some of my scholastic colleagues who use this data as a call to action to inform the work they do and ensure that all children find their story. First, here's Lauren Tarshis. Lauren is the Senior Vice President and Editor-in-Chief and Publisher of Scholastic Classroom Magazines. She's also the New York Times best-selling author of the I Survived series, terrifying and thrilling stories from history seen through the eyes of a child who lived to tell the tale. Lauren, what does the report tell us that kids and parents are looking for in a book? They want stories that will inspire them. They want stories that are different and will connect them to experiences, places, people, ideas, worlds that are different from their own. They want stories that are going to make them laugh. I think parents and kids can find 
connection through stories that they can read together. I think that that's another finding that if you look at, at this reading report, the value, the ongoing value of kids and parents reading together, even after kids um, know how to read, the idea of sitting down together as a family and looking at reading as a family activity, and then finding stories that work for everyone, that stories that can be um, ignite discussions, ideas for trips, ideas for next steps. I think that they're they're looking for anything other than just sort of a generic story. There's a lot out there, but there still are many stories left to tell. We also spoke with Andrea Davis Pinckney, a vice president and executive editor of Scholastic Trade Books and an award-winning children's book author, to see how she uses the report in her day-to-day. Okay, let me say that this report, Kids and Family Reading Report, is my playbook. And the first thing I do is I say, all right, agents, authors, illustrators, we want more books with a multitude of diverse experiences uh, across genres from the very young up through the young adult. We want read alouds. We want books where families are reflected, family systems, types of people. And I, I use it to inform everything I do. That is incredible to hear, Andrea. What else does the report tell us that kids want? What types of characters do kids want to read about? Well, there are three things. And again, this is why I love the report so much. Kids who face challenges and overcome them. I want to read about that kid who got through that tough situation. Kids like me, again, reflecting that mirror. I want to read about somebody who looks like me, has an experience similar to my own. And the third being, I want to read about kids who I want to be like, role models. A perfect example is we published a book at Scholastic called Marley Diaz Gets It Done by Marley Diaz, the 12-year-old girl who launched the Thousand Black Girl Book Clubs. That book has inspired so many readers because she's a role model, she's overcome obstacles, and she's a kid that a lot of kids want to be like. Why is it so powerful for children to see themselves reflected in the books they read? Well, Suzanne, think about it. If you walked around... And you were in a, in a world where there were no mirrors or there were no windows. There would, you would never see yourself. You'd never see a reflection of yourself. No light would be entering. And that's what books with diverse characters and storylines do. They bring light. They allow us to reflect on ourselves. And, you know, speaking as a mom, I want my kids to read more books. We all want that. And when my own children see themselves reflected. They want to read more. So that's why it's so critical. They value their place in the world. And when they read books and stories about people other than themselves, they have a greater sense of open-mindedness. Their thinking becomes expanded. And that's really what I want for not only my children, but all kids. The data itself is powerful, but hearing from kids in their own voices really brings it to life. Here are some young readers to tell us about their favorite stories and characters. Um, My favorite fiction book would maybe be Captain Underpants because it's funny and he, the Captain Underpants only um, flies in underpants. My favorite books are anything by Roldal, but I guess the best is the Twits. My favorite character is Mr. Twit because he, he plays lots of funny pranks on Mrs. Twit. He keeps me laughing. 
Books that make kids laugh are still number one. But kids are also looking for characters who are smart, strong, and brave. One of my favorite books is Amulet by Kazuo Kibuishi. I love the character Leon, who is a fox, because he is brave, wise, kind. One of my favorite books is Keeper of the Lost Cities. I love the character Sophie Foster because she is unsure and nervous at the beginning of the story, but gets stronger and powerful and able to deal with pressure through her experiences. Sayantani Dasgupta's heroine, Kiran Mala, is another perfect example. Here's Sayantani to read aloud an excerpt from her latest middle grade fantasy novel, Game of Stars. Chapter 1. A Demoness in My Room. The first time the demon queen appeared in my bedroom, I tried to decapitate her with my solar system nightlight. I was fast asleep, but I got woken up by the freaky sound of buzzing. Then I smelled that rancid, belchy, acidy odor I'd come to associate with the rock cushy during my adventures in the kingdom beyond seven oceans and 13 rivers last fall. As soon as I opened my eyes, I saw her outline, pointy crown on her giant head, sharp horns peeking out of her dark hair, and evil talons reaching out from her long arms. And if that wasn't bad enough, the demoness had with her some giant, evil-looking bees. I reached for my magic bow and quiver under my bed, but when my hand came up empty, I remembered I'd left them in my locker at school. So instead, I laced my fingers through the plastic rings of Saturn, yanked my old nightlight from the socket, and spun the entire solar system like a flying discus right at the monster's head. With an introduction to an intrepid character like that, who wouldn't want to follow her adventures wherever they lead? Kids also told us that they love to read about characters who are just like them. I'll let Adalia, Lucia, and Titus tell you about some of their favorite books. My favorite book is Frida by Jonah Winter. I like it because Frida paints like I like to paint. One of my favorite books is Little Leaders, Bold Women in Black History by Vashti Harrison. I love the character Raven Wilkinson because she was one of the first black ballerinas. And I am black and I want to be a ballerina. One of my favorite books is Nerds by Michael Buckley. I love the character Flinch because he is just always filled of energy and so excited and hyper. And I'm always all of those things 24-7. As Andrea said, we need books to be both windows and mirrors for kids. And that means in all aspects of a child's life, including their hobbies or interests, family makeup, economic status, mental health, and more. If kids see themselves reflected in the heroes they read about, they can envision themselves as the heroes of their own lives. Here are Nolan and Amelia to tell us about some of the characters who have inspired them. My favorite book is Wonder by R.J. Palacio. My favorite character in Wonder is Augie Pullman. I admire Augie because he was able to overcome adversity to find happiness. It's really hard for me to choose a favorite book, but one I love is The Outsiders. In The Outsiders, I love the character Soda Pop. 
I love Soda Pop because he remains optimistic even in times of hardship. The resilient main characters of the best-selling I Survived series face natural disasters and devastating events from history. Lauren Tarshish sets her young characters in the center of the action, right on page one when the stakes are highest. Let's listen to the opening of her latest novel, I Survived the Battle of D-Day, 1944. Chapter 1 of I Survived the Battle of D-Day, 1944. It is Tuesday, June 6th, 1944. We are on the cliffs above Omaha Beach in Normandy, France, and it is about 1 o'clock a.m. 11-year-old Paul Colbert was running for his life. It was D-Day, one of the bloodiest days of World War II. More than 150,000 soldiers from America, England, and Canada were invading France. They had sailed across the sea on 7,000 ships creeping through the dark of night. Their mission? To free France from the brutal grip of Nazi Germany. It was time to crush the Nazis and end the war. In the minutes before the ships arrived, Paul was crouched on a cliff above the beach. He was trying to escape before the battle began, but now warplanes were zooming through the sky, and suddenly there was a shattering blast. Kaboom! Paul looked up in horror and saw that a plane was now in flames, and it was in a fiery death spiral heading right for him. Paul ran wildly as the burning plane fell from the sky, the air filled with the gagging stench of burning metal and melting rubber. The engine screamed and moaned. It sounded like a giant beast bellowing in pain. No matter where Paul went, the dying plane seemed to be following him like it wanted Paul to die, too. And then, smack, something hit Paul on the head. His skull seemed to explode in pain. Paul fell to the ground as the burning wreckage came crashing down. For four long years, Paul had been praying for this day, for the war to end, for France to finally be free from the Nazis. But now, it seemed, this day would be his last. All right. We all want to race to that chapter two now, Lauren. We know that parents and children are looking for both fiction and nonfiction to help kids make sense of the world, to help them understand troubling aspects, to cope with trauma. You do all of that here. Tell us about your recipe. Well, the recipe. Well, I think that um, one of the origin stories of there are a few origin stories from the from the series. Certainly, hearing from teachers who had read the stories I'd written in StoryWorks that were historical and they were built around the experience, the single narrative of a child. Those were always the most um, successful stories, and the stories that struggling readers were the most um, engaged by. Even kids who had no interest in history were were reading these stories, and teachers would give me very specific feedback about them. One even suggested that I should write a series like that. I get a lot of mail from kids and teachers and parents from places where they have suffered from all kinds of natural disasters. I hear from kids who are are facing chronic illnesses, who are facing challenges in their lives, um, who connect with the characters in the book. And, and some of the, in fact, the Joplin Tornado book came about because People wrote to me from Joplin suggesting it as a topic for I Survived. And I ended up going there twice and connecting with people there. And and I think it's delicate because in a traumatized community, some people are, the people are at different phases of dealing with the grief and loss. Different people have different ways of, of processing trauma and grief. But it's certainly from what I have read and even some of the work that's being done at the Yale Child Study Center that we're collaborating with now, that sharing, a, creating a narrative, a personal narrative about your experience in trauma, a narrative that's empowering, a narrative that shows that people were there for you, 
people are listening and that they care about what happened to you. What you went through had meaning. You know, I see when I go into some of these communities and it's hubristic to say, I'm not coming to like, okay, here, let's, you know, talk about your trauma. I think in some cases I'm just, it's, it's, it's a person to listen. And, um, I think that giving people the opportunity to shape their story in a way that is empowering can be a healing process. And I think in the stories, I mean, I always say that the title I survived is not a good title for the series because my characters don't merely go through something and then survive and like, okay, let's go back. It's that there's a very long healing process. There's a process of grief, a messy and sometimes protracted process of coming to terms with losing a home in a natural disaster or losing a parent or, or, or the many things that happen to people when they go through these sorts of events. But showing that people can, in the end, you know, at the end of a process, begin to gain control of their lives again, feel joy again, connect with people. That's very much, I think, the central theme of the whole series. Lauren's books are bestsellers for a reason. Her young characters are brave and bold, and kids love to see them beat the odds. As the report tells us, 91% of children ages 6 to 17 say, My favorite books are the ones that I have picked out myself. Indeed, choice is important. But as our chief academic officer, Michael Hagen, points out, Kids don't always have access to a robust library. The report shares that frequent readers oftentimes have more access to books, more access to books that they enjoy. And they talk about in the Kids and Family Reading Report that when they have books that make them laugh um, and they have access and they get to choose that choice, um, that you, you find that they are, are reading more and continue reading and finish the book and then read the next one. Infrequent readers aren't finding that same access. They're not finding books that reflect who they are first and then of high interest. And then they don't have as much access to them in classroom libraries or um, in-home libraries. What are we doing to address that? Well, that's a part of my my role with Scholastic is... I'm going around the country and sharing the importance of making sure I, I recommend 750 books for classroom libraries from kindergarten through sixth grade. Uh, we recommend that the multiple genres for popular books, multiple copies in each classroom have um, varying grade levels from a level above to a level below or two. And so that students can have this access. Uh, I think it should be a mission um, that uh, we talk about and share how important it is to have classroom libraries and how negligent if you don't have them because those students that we are calling infrequent readers have even less choice. That's so true, especially they don't have books at home and they don't have them in the classroom. There's really not much option for them. And unfortunately, we're losing libraries around the country, um, not just um, tr traditional public libraries, but classroom libraries and school libraries. And unfortunately, um, we're losing librarians. It's not um, one of the roles that we lose at a school um, before we lose anything else, which is really sad because that creates even less access to books. You travel, you mentioned you travel around the country, you visit schools and classrooms all the time. What are some particular challenges that teachers tell you that they have? The biggest challenge that teachers are having is not having as many books as they would like to have. And so, again, I call it the opportunity gap. Once they have them, they're able to, to do those critical um, 
activities that they want to do. They're able to have more read-alouds. They're able to do more book shares. They're able to use more mentor texts um, in, in their work. What I'm finding around the country is more and more teachers are putting down the, the traditional basil, those anthologies, and they're wanting access to just authentic texts and more books. And so this data shares that not only do teachers want more access to this, but the parents and the students do as well. So when you put that together, hopefully they have some great data to share with their districts and say, this is why we want more books in our classrooms. Describe what you mean by authentic texts in case a parent out there hasn't heard the term. When we talk about authentic texts, we talk about those books that were written not just to teach a skill, but to tell a story. And those are what we're finding that students are highly engaged in. Uh, so when we talked about contrived texts, where you put um, words and sentences together, paragraphs together to teach a certain skill, sometimes that's okay. You know, we have decodable texts and we want to learn to teach a particular skill. But when we talk about students and their interest in reading, and we and when we talk about frequent readers and what interests them the most, why do they read so much? It's because they love that authentic text. They love that text that tells a story, that engages them, that gives them empathy for others and want them to read more. Why is empathy so important? We have a, what I'm finding, you asked a question earlier about what am I finding in schools and our teachers are really, and, and our administrators are really doing a huge focus around social and emotional learning. Um, what's happening that attracts a student to what they're reading that's real for them. And so when students see themselves in stories and see others in stories, they develop this empathy for other characters and for other students. And what happens is, you know, you create better classrooms and better schools. I so agree. The way that reading extends beyond the page is really remarkable. Andrea Davis Pinckney also talks about the key role that books play in social and emotional development and helping children develop character. We want them to develop into good people. It all comes down to that. You know, as a mom, I want my kids to have empathy. I want them to be critical thinkers. I want them to have social and emotional well-being. And that's what diverse books provide. They empower my kids. And, you know, I think about it from the standpoint of a teacher. You know, these are the leaders of tomorrow, the kids that we're serving. They're the future teachers. They're the future lawmakers entertainers, scientists. We want to expand their thinking. And that's what these books do. It just kind of, it opens the mind to wonderful things. We understand at Scholastic that children have a fundamental right to see themselves in books. Visibility matters. We also know from the report that families are expecting more from the books their children read. They want books to tell the stories of people from many different backgrounds to help navigate the world and find their place in it. That's why we have an exciting new initiative. It's called The Power of Story. Lizette Serrano, the Executive Director of Educational Marketing at Scholastic, is here to tell us more about it. I decided to launch the Power of Story initiative because there is a need in the children's industry about diverse books, and children seeing themselves reflected in the books that we publish today. We've heard from many educators and teachers that they need more resources and tools to locate these books for classrooms, for libraries, and even booksellers. And even parents, we're finding out, are looking for 
books represent their children, um, not only represent their children, but represent the world around them. Can you tell us about some of the elements of the campaign? Power of Story Initiative includes a great resourceful catalog for books of all ages represent diversity of race, sexual orientation, gender identity, physical and mental um, abilities. And we're really hoping and sharing these stories with young people, want them to get the opportunity to see themselves and their communities reflected to read widely and to understand and expand their world. And this campaign launched a year ago with the intent that not only through a catalog for a, a resource, but that through events, through our authors, through our books, we are sharing those personal connections and what the power story means to them. So we've done a lot uh, for, to support the power story. They have included, our, you know, creating video from our authors on what the power story means to them. We've also had uh, amazing events at conferences where we've invited authors and librarians and teachers to talk about what the power story means to them. It's been really successful to see the response when, when we just have the catalog at conferences, be it at ALA Annual or teacher conventions like NCTE. People just, they gravitate to it. I think there's such a need and urgency to have these books um, in classrooms and libraries. And we've just been receiving a number of um, positive responses. What I love about this catalog, and not only includes new books coming out, it includes a breadth of our amazing backlist of classic titles, including award-winning books like Horror Stories by Virginia Hamilton, which is based on African-American folktales and religion, Sunrise Over Fallujah by Walter Dean Myers, dealing with the Afghan Afghanistan war, um, and of course, my all-time favorite, I think every favorite in the class, Every Classroom in America is Esperanza Rising by Pam Yunos Ryan. There are other titles that have been published 20 years ago that still stand the test of time that you can find, discover those type of, type of books in this catalog. What else? What's ahead? What's next for The Power of Story? Oh, I'm so excited. So we launched a Power of Story catalog online in a print edition a year ago. We also have another catalog. This Power of Story catalog probably contains over 200 titles. It's kind of like our best of the best scholastic books from backlist to frontlist. And we also have another full range of catalogs online at adevice.com, which has over 800 titles. So we're updating it with 2019 titles. This will be available online and in print at the end of May. I'm also excited that at the Book Expo event in May in New York City, we're going to be hosting a Power of Stories Scholastic panel with three of our upcoming authors who have books coming out. Uh, one is our own Sharon Robinson, daughter of baseball legend activist Jackie Robinson. She has a new memoir coming out. So she will be in the panel. Da Chen, who is part of our Scholastic Focus in Print, talking about um, his sister's immigration story from China to New York. And lastly, Tim Tingle, who was a Native American author. Our first book was Scholastic, a middle grade, mystery, humorous, great detective story called Doc and the Detective. So we're really excited about showcasing what's next power story while highlighting our authors who are going to be there. What a lineup. I wondered, when was the first time you saw yourself in a book? I shared a story in 2014 on the Scholastic Boom blog that was called Hashtag We Have Diverse Books. And I talked about the effect that Esperanza Rising had on me in my early 20s. And the reason why they had that profound effect on me is because not only represented a Latino girl who had dark hair like me, who spoke Spanish at home like we did, who ate the same, same, same foods. She was Mexican and Puerto Rican. But again, the language, the culture, the family, those are similarities that just really touched my heart. It really had a profound effect on me. And it even, it even propelled me more to know, you know, the mission Scholastic has always had, that every voice matters and it's so much important than now than ever 
to make sure we share everyone's power of story. What does the power of story mean to you? Hear the power of story. What sparks inside my mind is the number of books that have had a profound effect on me and that had helped me in ways through discovering who I am, discovering other people. That's what it means on me. I see books that pop into my head that I've talked about today. I hear books that I can, can share with other people that I know will have, you know, effect on them. It just means, you know, through books, we really can connect with each other in a way that nothing else can or ever really will, I think, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, is that that's so poetic. <laughs> so beautiful. Thank you very much for talking with me. Thanks again to my scholastic colleagues for joining me. And thank you for listening. To learn more about the Kids and Family Reading Report, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash reading report. This episode was produced by Emily Morrow, Mackenzie Catrazula, and me, Suzanne McCabe. Daniel Jordan recorded our interviews, and Lucas Elliott Eberl composed the music. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time. <laughs> <laughs>